uh, right after uh, Araya and I got married, we were gifted a mower, uh, just a normal tractor, you know, riding mower. Nothing fancy. It wasn't new, but it was, it was new to us, and it would get the job done at our new house with our new marriage and everything. And we got it delivered to our, we, we didn't get it delivered, it was brought to our house, and, um, and I remember like the first time I went to go mow the yard, I, you know, I, this is, I, again, I'm, I'm newly married, new house, I'm excited, um, and back then, and maybe some guys still do, you know, excited to go mow the yard or whatever, and uh, just starting this new chapter in life, and I get on the mower, and I, I mean, I know how to start a mower, okay, like m- mowing the lawn was my chore growing up. So I sit on the mower, I'm, I'm getting ready, and I know it works. The people, who gave, like, the people who gave us the mower would not give us a broken mower. And I sit on the mower, I push the brake, turn the key, nothing. And I'm like, so I try it again, push the brake, turn the key, nothing. Push the key, uh, brake, turn the key, nothing. And I cannot figure out why this mower will not start. Uh, again, I know how to start mowers. I've, I've mowed lawns my, ever since I was a preteen. And that's what, that's like, I just, that's what we did. That's how, uh, that's, that was my chore. And I, I, we, we had a big yard where I had to ride a riding mower and, and all this stuff. But the mower would not start. And so we had to, obviously we had to figure out why this mower won't start. The yard needs mowed. So like, um, we started, either I don't know how to start a mower, which I do, or, you know, maybe, maybe one of the wires got unhooked as it was being delivered. Maybe one of, maybe the battery died, you know, maybe it had been sitting out too long and the battery was just dead and it needed charged or something like that. You know, you're going through all this list. I remember calling Araya's dad, I remember calling Kendall, and I remember calling Araya's grandpa and just be like, I cannot figure out why this mower won't start. Will you please come look at it? And like, over the course of a month, I mean, we ended up having like, I remember Kendall like brought his mower to mow the yard while we we're trying to figure out why this mower will not start. Over the course of like a month or like six weeks, People were coming over to, like, look at it. I remember one time, Arai's grandpa eventually came over and took the battery to um, a car, an auto parts store to, like, have them charge it and test it. Yep, battery's all good. You know, they checked the safety switches. Safety switches, we just could not check the wires. Wires are all good. Every, like, it all looked fine, but just why would the mower not start? And the reason, we, the reason why I bring that up is because in that situation, we had a mystery to figure out. Why will the mower not start? We can't figure out why the mower won't start. And this morning, we have a mystery to figure out too. Whenever it comes to a mystery, you have to look at two things. You got to look at the facts, and then you got to look at the theories. Right? You got to look at the facts, then you got to look at the theories. Okay? In my mower situation, here are the facts. The fact is, the mower won't start. And the fact is, the people who gave me the mower would not give me a broken mower. So there's, like, there's something, some extenuating circumstances, some reason this mower won't start. Those are the facts. So like, what are the theories? The theories are maybe a safety switch is flipped, or maybe the battery's dead, or maybe the wires are this, or maybe a, a hose is, you know, maybe something's, um, or maybe I don't know how to start a mower. Like, like I don't get it. Um, but we have to go through the facts, and then you go through the theories. And uh, today we're going to look at a, a big mystery, one of the most, no, not one of the most, the most consequential um, moment in human history. The most important morning in human history. So what is our the mower won't start mystery? It's what happened almost exactly 2,000 years ago on a Sunday morning when a tomb became empty 
and some people started saying that someone had died but come back to life. Our mystery is, did the resurrection actually happen? Is there any reason to believe that the resurrection is a historical event? If you want to follow along with me, I'm reading from Matthew chapter 28, verses 1 through 8, and it says this, early on Sunday morning, or maybe in your version, in your Bible, it says on the first day of the week, that was Sunday back then. Early on Sunday morning, as the new day was dawning, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went out to visit the tomb. This is after Jesus has died, he's been buried, and they're going out on Sunday morning. It's now after the Sabbath, and they're going on Sunday morning uh, to visit the tomb. Verse 2, and suddenly there was a great earthquake For an angel of the Lord came down from heaven, rolled aside the stone, and sat on it. His face face shone like lightning, and his clothing was as white as snow. The guards shook with fear when they saw him, and they fell into a dead faint. Then the angel spoke to the women. Don't be afraid, he said. I know you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He isn't here. He is risen from the dead, just as he said would happen. Come, see where his body was lying, and now go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead, and he is going ahead of you to Galilee. You will see him there. Remember what I have told you. Verse 8, the women ran quickly from the tomb. They were very frightened, but also filled with great joy, and they rushed to give the disciples the angel's message. That, I'm telling you everybody, that is the most consequential, that is the most important morning in human history. We are here 2,000 years later, and we, were, we are still experiencing the ramifications of that morning. What actually happened? The women showed up, the tomb was empty, and here we are 2,000 years later, still experiencing the repercussions of that morning. Is there any reason to believe that all this actually happened? Or are are, are we just supposed to read the Bible and then just be like, I just believe it. I just believe that Jesus rose from the dead. I I, I will just believe it. Or is there any historical evidence that this event, the most important event in human history, actually happened? And the reason why it's so important to point this out is because the Bible tells us that the resurrection of Jesus is like the cornerstone belief of Christianity. It's like the most, be- most important belief that we have as Christians. If Christ had died and stayed dead, that would change everything. But don't take my word for it. We're going to read another passage from Scripture. This is from um, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, starting with verse 12. It says this, But tell me this, this is Paul speaking, well I should say it's God speaking through Paul, Uh, Verse 12, 1 Corinthians 15, verse 12. But tell me this, since we preach that Christ has rose rose from the dead, why are some of you saying um, there will be no no resurrection of the dead? Follow me here. For if no resurrection, for if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ has not been raised either. Verse 14, here it is. And if Christ has not been raised, then all our preaching is useless and your faith is is useless. Verse 15, and we apostles would all be lying about God, for we have said that God raised Christ from the grave. But that can't be true if there's no resurrection of the dead. If there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ has not been raised. Verse 17, here it is, 
And if Christ has not been raised, then your faith is useless and you are still guilty of your sins. The Bible tells us that the resurrection of Jesus is essential. It is so important. It is the, like you could almost say it's the cornerstone belief of Christianity. If Christ had died and just simply stayed dead, then that changes everything. But if Christ died but rose from the grave, that also changes everything. So is there any historical reason to believe that Jesus rose from the dead? I have spoken to um, non-believers. I've spoken to non-Christians. I, I am under no impression that everybody in this room is a Christian. I'm sure there are people in here that um, wouldn't say they have a relationship with Jesus or maybe people watching online. Maybe they're just, you know, they don't know what to decide or, or whatever. Um, but I've spoken to, to, to non-Christians face-to-face. I've spoken to them in my classroom uh, as a teacher uh, here at CCS. I've spoken to them on social media and they, they, uh, when I speak to, to non-Christians, they spend so much time trying to prove things that seem to me that those things would be very unimportant to them. Like, what I mean by that is, I mean, I, I've, had, I've had students who will try to show me a list of all these times the Bible contradicts itself. Well, here the Bible says this here, but then it says this here, and so therefore the Bible contradicts itself. And I'm like, I'm like, no, like, you know, I go through, like, historical context and, you know, go through, like, Greek and Hebrew stuff um, about trying. No, see, the Bible does not contradict itself at all. It does not. And, and then, I'm, but then in my mind, I'm just like, like, why is that what you are so um, focused on? Because the Bible tells, the reason why I say that, because the Bible tells um, non-Christians what the most important thing is when it comes to Christianity. If an atheist or a non-Christian wants to disprove Christianity, all they have to do, basically, is show that it's more likely that Christ died and stayed dead than died and rose from the dead. Because the Bible says, if Christ has not risen, your faith is useless. Or in some versions, if you look up, it says your faith is in vain. So if you can just simply show me that it is more likely that Christ died and stayed dead, that would change everything. If you could show that the evidence points to Christ dying and staying dead rather than dying and coming, coming back to life, that would change everything. If Christ has not been raised from the dead, your faith is in vain. Your faith is useless. But the opposite of that is true. If Christ has risen from the dead, that's crucial. Your faith is not useless. It's getting close to Easter, so we're going to look at the historical evidence of the resurrection. Remember, when it comes to any kind of mystery, you got to look at two things. You got to look at the, um, you got to look at the facts, and then you got to look at the theories. So, the first thing we're going to do is we're going to look at the facts. If you have your notes in front of you, uh, that's the first part of uh, your your paper. We're going to look at the facts, and later on, we're going to look at the theories. But before we do that, um, sorry, there's one more thing I want to point out. In that, or one thing I want to share with you is um, this quote from Sherlock Holmes. And this quote from Sherlock Holmes, I realize it's not from Sherlock Holmes. He's not a real person. Okay, it's from the, the books that he's, he's in, Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. Um, but in, in, the, um, in the, the Sherlock Holmes books, in one of them, Sherlock says this. I'm a big Sherlock fan. If you don't know anything about Sherlock Holmes, he's a, he's a fictional detective, and he looks at, like, the smallest details of a crime scene, and he can deduce all these crazy conclusions based off the smallest details um, that everyone else overlooks. 
and uh, he usually comes to crazy conclusions that later on become, that's, that's the, you know, that becomes the actual, how the case is solved. And here's something that he said. Once you eliminate the impossible, listen to this, once you eliminate the impossible, whatever's left, however improbable, must be true. Listen to that again. Once you eliminate the impossible, you start eliminating the impossible. It's not the safety switches. It's not the wires. It's, it's not the battery. Once you start um, eliminating the impossible, whatever's left, however improbable, it must be true. What are the facts? Then what are the theories? So here we go. Any theory about what happened 2,000 years ago, it must, it must answer for, it must reconcile four historical facts. And here we are uh, on, on your notes. Number one, here's a one historical fact. And number one is that Jesus died. Jesus died. How can we know that Jesus died? Um, and I kind of talked about this last week with the whole uh, historical argument, Jesus was either a liar, lunatic, or Lord, and we, you know, we went into all that. Um, so how can we know Jesus died? It's because how did he die? He died by a Roman um, crucifixion. Romans were not these backwater guys who didn't know how to execute somebody. Romans were professional executioners. Romans were professional executioners. This is what they did for a living. This is what their job was. If a Roman, if a Roman executioner failed to execute someone condemned to die, they would face severe consequences. So they made sure that the people who were condemned to die, they made sure that they would die. Um, and you see that in the Bible. If you, know, if, you, if you read the crucifixion story of Jesus, you know, what do they do to the guys next to Jesus? They break their legs. That made them die faster. They didn't just crucify him to the cross and just be like, all right, you just die on your own time. No, if they're just standing there like, come on, you need to die faster. We got more crucifixions to do. They would actually go up and bust their knees, break their legs um, so that they would die faster. Um, but when they went to break Jesus' legs, they realized he was already dead. But that wasn't good enough for them. They still had to make sure, and so they jabbed him with a spear to, to confirm that he, you know, he, wouldn't like, he wouldn't react to it, they, to confirm that he was dead, and the Bible says that blood and water flowed out. Romans were professional executioners. They did not let someone slip through the cracks. They themselves would face severe consequences if that happened. So number one is Jesus died. Number two, second historical fact, Jesus' tomb was found empty. The second historical fact is that Jesus' tomb was found empty. How can we know that? Well, for one, what city did the Christian movement begin in? Jerusalem. If you read the Bible, you see in the book of Acts, the, um, the, the disciples and the early, early church um, followers, they're all gathered in Jerusalem. Just, just a matter of days after Jesus' crucifixion just a few days like it's like 40 50 days later just very shortly this isn't years later this isn't decades later this is like two months later they're in a house in jerusalem and that's when the christian movement began so how do we know jesus why is that evidence that jesus's tomb was empty well because what was like their biggest claim that jesus rose from the dead they're in the same city that jesus was buried in the exact same one it's not like they're a thousand miles away they're right there and so the fact that the Christian movement was even able to start in Jerusalem is very strong evidence that the tomb was actually empty. 
Because if the tomb was occupied, what would the Jews do immediately? What would the Romans do immediately when the Christian movement starts? They would roll the stone away and be like, there's his body. He's still there. He's dead. Stop it. But the fact that the Christian movement began in Jerusalem um, shows that the tomb was empty. Um, so, yeah, sorry, I, I kind of worded that differently. In your notes, it says, if false, Christianity would not have been able to begin in Jerusalem because Jesus' body would still be there. Another reason we can know Jesus' tomb was found empty is because there's no historical record of anybody ever claiming that the tomb was occupied. Even the Pharisee story included an empty tomb. When you read scripture, what do they tell the guards? They're like, oh, they, just, just, tell your, just tell the people in charge of you that the, the disciples showed up and stole the body. So what does that mean? It means the tomb was actually empty. Because even the Pharisees' cover-up story includes an empty tomb. And here's, here's another one. Uh, another reason why we can know that the tomb was found empty. Jesus, uh, the empty tomb was found by women. If this story was made up, if the disciples were just making this up, first century Jewish men would have written that it was men who found it, not women. Back then, women couldn't even testify in court. But who are the first people to see the empty tomb? A group of women. Who is the first individual to see the risen Christ? A woman, Mary Magdalene. If they were just making this up, if the first century Jewish guys saw Jesus die, and they're like, whoa, we wasted our time with that. We need to, okay, we're not going we're, we're to we're, we're gonna, we're gonna make this count for something. Let's just say he rose from the dead. Their, their conspiracy would not be, well, let's say a whole bunch of women found it. Because that would be, that would, that would unless it's true, that, that would not carry weight back then. Uh, unless it, because actually the fact that the Bible says that women found it actually make it more credible to us now because if they were just making it up, they wouldn't have said women were the one who found it. Um, so those are three good reasons of why you can know that Jesus' tomb was found empty. Third fact, third historical fact, people claimed to have seen Jesus after his death. People claimed, whether you believe Jesus rose from the dead or not, that's a whole other thing, but you can't get around the fact that there were people who claimed to have seen Jesus after he died. Those are historical facts. People claimed to have seen Jesus after his death. And uh, I want to read a, a passage to you from 1 Corinthians 15. 1 Corinthians 15, or 1 Corinthians was written about the year 50. Now, why is that important? Because Jesus died around the year 30, 33, something like that. So 1 Corinthians was written around uh, the 50s. So we're, we are within 20 years of the events of Jesus' life is when 1 Corinthians was written. And here's, here's the passage. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 3, 3 through 8. It says this. I passed, this is Paul talking again. I passed on to you what was most important and what had also been passed on to me. Christ died for our sins, just as the scripture said. He was buried, and he was raised from the dead on the third day, just as the scripture said. And here's verse 5. He was seen by Peter, and then by the twelve. After that, he was seen by more than 500 of his followers at one time. Most of whom are still alive, though some have died. 
Then he was seen by James and later by all the apostles. And last of all, as though I had been born at the wrong time, I also saw him. People claim to have seen Jesus after his death. Jesus appeared to individuals, Peter, Mary Magdalene, James. He appeared to small groups, the disciples, the apostles. He appeared to men, he appeared to women, and he appeared to large groups, more than 500 people at one time. There were people, um, and, 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 the re- and one thing I want to point out, point out about that is that when Paul says that he was seen by more than 500 of his followers at one time, he says, most of whom are still alive, though some have died. Like, listen to what Paul's saying. Don't just gloss over that verse. Paul is saying 500 people. Let's imagine 500 people are in here. 500 people saw Jesus at one time. And, and so this, he wrote this later. You know, this, this, he's writing about something that happened over a decade before. But he's saying 500 people saw Jesus at one time. If he was lying, wouldn't it be so convenient of him to be like 500 people saw him at one time, but unfortunately they're all dead, so you can't go ask them. But what does he say? He says 500 people saw him at one time, and some have died, but most of them are still alive. Go ask them. Go ask them. See if I'm telling the truth. If he was lying, wouldn't it be so much easier for him to be like, ah, sorry, they're all dead. Crazy, right? But no, he's like, yes, some have died, but most of them are actually still alive. People claim to have seen Jesus after he died. Okay, sorry, I, I know we're, a fourth, fourth fact, here we go, last, last historical fact. The disciples apparently sincerely believed that Jesus had risen from the dead. Okay, let me say that again. The disciples apparently sincerely, like in their heart of hearts, they sincerely believed that Jesus had risen from the dead and were willing to die for it. All 12 disciples died under persecution because they claimed that Jesus rose from the dead. Judas, uh, Judas hanged himself, but he was replaced by a guy named Matthias, and every single of the 12 disciples died under persecution. John was exiled. He was the last one to die, John, but he was exiled on an island to die alone on an island. Um, but all, uh, and so even he died under persecution, but every single, they got stoned, they got crucified, they got crucified upside down. Um, they, were str- they were tied to four horses by each limb, and, and the horses were um, shot off in four different directions so that their limbs would break off. They died under extreme persecution, and never once did any one of them ever say, we were just lying, we just made it up. So the disciples seemed to sincerely believe that Jesus had risen from the dead, and they were willing to die for it. So we got our four facts. We got our four facts. So what are our theories? I've heard these theories in my classroom or in youth group or or in other places uh, over the years. Um, When you look through uh, journals written by um, atheists, you'll often see these come up. So we're going to go over the top five theories of what really happened on that Sunday morning. But remember, whatever theory you propose it has to answer for all four facts. If it leaves one fact out, then it's, it's impossible. And once you eliminate the impossible, whatever's left, however improbable, it must be true. It must be true. So let's go over these four theories. 
Um, and I realize that on your notes underneath these series is just blank lines. Is because I just, you, if you want to write something down, you just write down what you want. There's no certain things for you to write down underneath these theories. But the first theory, the number one theory that, I he, that we hear a lot is the conspiracy theory. Now, I'm, I know most of us like a good conspiracy theory, okay? Um, but let's see what this conspiracy theory is all about. The conspiracy theory says, there's probably different variations of each of these, um, but I hope to do them justice. The conspiracy theory is this. Jesus died on Friday, and sometime Friday night, maybe Saturday night, some, sometime in that time that Jesus was dead, the disciples, all, the disciples banded together, and they went to the tomb, they overtook the guards or whatever, and they stole Jesus' body. And then they even, some usually stop there, but some even go another step. And then they even hired a lookalike. They found someone that looked spot on like Jesus. And maybe that guy was even so devoted to his craft that he even got like the holes in his hands and the piercing in his side to really sell the illusion. And so the theory is that the disciples stole the body, hid the body, and then got a lookalike that looked like Jesus to go around and say, I rose from the dead. Look at my hands and look at my side. I rose from the dead. Um, that's the conspiracy theory. That's, that's the, the conspiracy theory. And so look at, let's look at our four facts. Does it answer for the four facts? Does it answer for the fact that Jesus died? Yes. In this theory, Jesus dies. Okay? Does it answer for the empty tomb? Yes. In this, in this, uh, in this theory, it answers for the empty tomb. Um, does it answer for people who claim to see Jesus after he died? Yes, it does. It, it answers for that as well. But number four the disciples sincerely believed that Jesus had risen from the dead and they were all willing to die for it. That's the one that is not answered for. And if one fact is not answered for, then the theory crumbles. Like I just said a few minutes ago, every single of the disciples, and many more. It's not like the 12 disciples were the only core group that experienced severe persecution. You got Jesus' brothers that experienced severe persecution. You got many people of the early church who, I mean, I would say the entire church, early church, experienced severe persecution, but many of them died horrific deaths. They were fed to lions. They were, like I said, they were pulled in four different directions. They were beheaded. They were crucified upside down. And never once did any of them, during their painful persecution or their painful execution, never once did any of them say, we were just lying. We stole his body. It was all just made up. And we talked about that last week a little bit with Jesus being a liar, lunatic Lord, that we can know Jesus wasn't a liar because he died such a horrific death and he didn't take it back. Well, now you've got 12 guys, 20 guys, 30 guys, a whole bunch of people dying horrific deaths and never once do any of them say, we stole the body, it was all a lie, please stop hurting me. The conspiracy theory does not hold water. And, I, and there's one more thing I want to say about the conspiracy theory is this. Um, when you look at the 12 disciples, you even have to ask yourself, what would they gain by lying about Jesus' resurrection? I heard one author put it this way. The only reason the disciples would be lying about Jesus' resurrection would be for one of three reasons. Either they wanted money, they wanted sex, or they wanted power. Money, sex, or power. And when you look at the 12 disciples, when you look at the early church, go through those things. Money, sex, or power. Did they, did they become super rich because, of the, because they went around saying Jesus had come back to life? 
No, in fact, they, Paul never took payment for his preaching. He worked as a tent maker. You know, they, they often talked about being good stewards of your money, to be smart with your money. They didn't talk about Jesus rose from the dead, now give me all the money so I can, you know, I'll, I'll preach about Jesus rising from the dead. No, they talked about being good stewards with their money. Um, what about... Um, what about sex? Did the early church um, leaders collect wives and just get a whole, like, did they just become these people who married a whole bunch of women and, and, um, and, and live that kind of life? No. In fact, you read the Bible, they preach the opposite. They talk about marital purity and the husband of one wife and all this stuff. What about power? Did the early church leaders become very powerful figures in their communities? No, they were very humble guys who, who preached the power and, and the, uh, um, the authority of Christ. The conspiracy theory is, is, has no, um, the, that fourth fact, not being true, is the one that makes it hold no water. All right, let's move on to the next theory. I've heard this one too. The apparent death theory. The apparent death theory. Or other people might call this the swoon theory. And the, this theory goes that Jesus just appeared to die on the cross. The Romans, you know, they flogged him. He would have been beaten head to toe. His organs would have been hanging out of his body. His muscles would have been hanging out of his body. His spine would have been exposed. He, he would have been beaten, shredded, and then crucified. But the apparent death theory is that he just simply passed out on the cross. And the Romans thought he was dead, so they buried him, and then he just woke up in the tomb. And that's the resurrection. And I cannot, I, I, pardon me, I don't even know where to begin with this. Um, th this one is quickly shown to be wrong just simply because of the first fact that we talked about. Jesus died. Again, to think that the Romans failed to execute someone condemned to die is just laughable. That, that is, that's, that's like us looking at the Romans just being like, oh, they didn't know what they were doing. No, these people were professional executioners. So, so to think that Jesus somehow survived his execution is, is just, it's just, it's wild. And then even beyond that, so Jesus, when they wrap a body in a tomb, they are like mummified. They are wrapped tight. And so to think that Jesus somehow survived being buried in a tomb, all beaten up and bloodied, but then suddenly he wakes up, and he's able to untie him, unwrap himself out of this super tight wrapping. He's able to untie himself and then move the stone. Again, he's still all shredded and beaten up. He's able to move the stone on his own and then still in an all beaten up. He clearly needs a doctor. He clearly needs some band-aids. And he somehow sneaks past the guards. And then he appears to the disciples and be like, look, I rose from the dead. They'd be like, no, somehow you survived the execution. They wouldn't say, oh, you, re you resurrected from the dead. They'd be like, no, like somehow you survived. This theory has all sorts of problems. And so, no, the apparent death theory does not hold water. The fact is Jesus died. And so to say he just apparently died is just false. Number three, the wrong tomb theory. The wrong tomb theory. This theory just simply says that the women went to the wrong tomb on that Sunday morning. And that's it. The women... Must have just not had good directions on where to go, and they went to the third tomb on the left when they should have gone to the second tomb on the right, and they walked up to the wrong tomb, saw it was empty, and they're like, whoa, it's empty. He came back to life. And then here we are 2,000 years later because some women just went to the wrong tomb. And this theory has all sorts of problems too. For one, that, uh, 
to just say the women went to the wrong tomb is just silly. Like, the, Jesus was super important to them. They would have known which tomb to go to. But even beyond that, it doesn't explain all the post-death sightings, right? It doesn't explain all the post-death sightings. The man who buried Jesus, if you know that story, the man who buried Jesus, his name was Joseph of Arimathea. He was a Jew. He was a Christian. He would have, like, the moment the women went to the wrong tomb, he'd be like, look, it's empty. He came back to life. Joseph would have been like, ugh, you went to the wrong tomb. It's actually over there. Like, he would have immediately said that. But even if he didn't, let's say he doesn't, Again, once the Christian movement begins in Jerusalem, what are the Jews going to do immediately? What are the Romans going to do immediately? They're going to go to the right tomb, roll the stone away, and say, there he is. He's actually dead. Stop saying he came back to life. So the wrong tomb theory also does not hold water. Fourth theory, the hallucination theory. The hallucination theory. This theory says that the disciples simply hallucinated. They were under such mental anguish, such mental distress about, about this man dying. They were under such anguish that Jesus had died that they simply hallucinated all the post-death sightings. And, and, maybe, and maybe you're starting, maybe you're getting kind of good at this now, and you can immediately, immediately see the holes in this, in this theory. For one, it doesn't explain the empty tomb. That would immediately shut down any movement. And two, um, I don't, like, there have been so many studies on, like, hallucinations and whatnot, and, and there has been no concrete evidence that hallucinations happen in, a, in group form. It's said that 500 people saw Jesus at one time. There is no concrete evidence that hallucinations happen in group form. Hallucinations are individual experiences. It's not something that all 200 of us are going to hallucinate the same thing. That's not how hallucinations, that's not how the brain or the mind works. So that's not how hallucinations work. And two, it doesn't answer for the empty tomb. Or it doesn't answer, well, it doesn't answer for the empty tomb, but it doesn't answer... Um, it doesn't answer all the facts, and if it doesn't answer one fact, then it's a false theory. It doesn't explain the post-death post appearances, and it doesn't explain the empty tomb. Once you eliminate the impossible, whatever remains, however improbable, must be true. And that brings us to our final theory, which is the resurrection theory. The resurrection theory says this. The resurrection theory says, Christ, Jesus claimed to be God, and he was. He died because he claimed to be God. And on the third day, he came back to life. He rose himself from the dead. The tomb was miraculous. The stone was miraculously, by an angel, rolled away. And he walked, the, the guards fainted. The, and he walked out of that grave as a fully restored human, um, except for the scars in his hands and the mark in his side. And then he appeared to his disciples uh, over a course of 40 days before he ascended into heaven. That's the resurrection theory. Does it answer for the fact that Jesus died? Yep. Does it answer um, for the fact that Jesus' tomb was found empty? People claim to have seen Jesus after he died. Yep. 
his disciples sincerely believed that Jesus had risen from the dead and they were willing to die for it. Yep. Once you eliminate the impossible, conspiracy theory, apparent death theory, wrong tomb theory, hallucination theory, whatever's left, the resurrection theory, whatever's left, however improbable, must be true. Is the idea of a man raising himself back to life, is that a pretty wild theory? I'll give you that. That's a pretty wild, outstanding claim. But once you eliminate the impossible, whatever's left, however improbable, it must be true. And the resurrection theory is the only theory that fits all the facts. It's the only theory that fits all the historical facts. Once you eliminate the impossible, whatever's left must be true. Over the course of six weeks or so, I had figured out it wasn't the wires. I had figured out it wasn't the battery. I had figured out it wasn't the safety switches. I had figured out it wasn't this, figured out it wasn't that. And I'm just sitting on my mower in the summer heat, just defeated. I just want to cut my grass. And I remember I was sitting on the mower, and I just hunched over just in defeat. Just as a joke, one more time, pushed on the brake, turned the key, nothing. Just hunched over. And as I'm hunched over, I see some writing on the mower. How to start mower. <laughs> Step one, push, brake. Step two, lock the brake. Step three, turn the key. You have got to be kidding me. Push brake, lock brake, turn the key, and the mower started. <laughs> Once you eliminate the impossible, whatever's left, however improbable, must be true. I know how to start a mower. Well, apparently, I didn't. And that seemed so impossible to me that I wouldn't even consider that as what the answer was to this mystery. But once I eliminated the impossible, um, once I eliminated the impossible, it wasn't this, it wasn't that, it wasn't this. Whatever's left, however improbable, must be true. I hope what you've seen this morning is what's true is that Christ bodily, literally rose from the dead. That is the only theory that fits all the facts. The disciples weren't hallucinating. The women didn't go to the wrong tomb. Um, Jesus didn't survive the crucifixion. None of that. The only theory that fits all the facts is the resurrection theory. And once you eliminate the impossible, whatever's left, however improbable, it must be true. If you have never made that decision to follow Christ, maybe, maybe it's because you just never made the decision. You just never got around to it. Or maybe it's because you have decided, I can't believe in a man raising himself. That's just too, that's too out there for me. I hope what I've shown you this morning is that that is where the evidence takes you. If you want to make your decision on believing in Jesus based off logic and fact, I, I hope I've shown you that when you follow the facts, you end up at Jesus. 
Just like me trying to start this mower, I was trying to go every which way, trying not to come to the conclusion that it's personal error. But eventually I'm like, nope, nope, nope. It's, it's, I, I, I didn't know how to start it. And the same thing with when it, when it comes to what happened that Sunday morning 2,000 years ago. Maybe you're trying to go every which direction. Oh, the disciples were just hallucinating. Oh, they, they, he didn't die. And the whole time you realize that each one of those theories fall flat. And the only one that fits all the facts is that, nope, Jesus really was who he said he was. And he came back to life and he walked out of that grave to prove that he has the power to forgive you of your sins. And if you've never made that decision, please do not wait another day. Do not wait another minute. Come to Christ. Like I said last week, there is a nail-scarred hand being offered out to you right now for you to take to have that forgiveness that he offers. And here in this world, we carry a lot of stuff, right? We carry shame or sin or, or, or whatever, and Christ offers to take that from us. And I'm telling you, for any, listen please, for any non-Christian in the room, listen, to any non-Christian in the room or listen, online or listening to my voice, this life, from start to finish, this life, for any non-Christian, this life, this is as good as it's ever going to get. This life, with all of its ups and all of its downs, for the non-Christian, this life is as good as it's ever going to get. But for the Christian in the room, listen, for those of us who have put our faith in Christ, for those of us who look at what Jesus did on that cross and we say, I trust that as payment for my sin, for those of us Christians in the room, this life is as bad as it's ever going to be. If you have not made that decision, if you have not made that decision to take the load off and give it to Christ, I beg you, I pray that God rips you out of that aisle, rips you out of your row, and brings you up here. If you want to join the church, if you want to uh, give your life to Christ, you want to get baptized, all of those things can be done today. And I pray that during this uh, song of invitation, you make that decision. And if someone's sitting next, like, bring someone up with you. Like, say, I'll go up. If you go, I'll go. If you go, I'll go up there with you. Don't let someone come up here alone. If you haven't made that decision, I beg that you make that decision today. I'm going to close us in prayer, and then we're going to sing. After I'm done praying, I ask that you stand as we sing this final song. Let's pray.